0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 85 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 19th of August 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 17. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Holy Word, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. (coughs) The Apostle Paul writing under inspiration to the church at Corinth, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat, the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not." For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together into the condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Father, we thank you again for your word. Now, Lord, we depend totally and completely upon you. Father, we pray not for man's words or man's wisdom, but we pray by the power of your spirit that you would make these words alive into our hearts. Lord, you know the needs, you know the hearts of every individual here today. We just pray, Lord, that you would speak that which needs to be spoken. Do the work that only you can do. And we will give you all the praise and honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. As we continue this morning in our series on contending for the faith, this is sermon number 85. We've been here a while. And within that series, as we've been looking at the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Today is the 17th in that part, and we're up to the 6th as we look at the ordinances of that church. Of course, as we began to look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we began there by defining what a New Testament church is. And we looked at both the prospective church that will be called out together at one time to meet the Lord in glory at the rapture, but we looked at the present church right now, the local church that we are a part of at at this point in time. And of course, in looking after looking at those things, we began to look at the design of that New Testament church. We looked at the organization of that church. And we looked at two different things. First of all, a church is a body of Christians, of born-again, baptized believers that are joined together with Jesus Christ as their head. We looked at the offices of a New Testament church, those that are called by God, the pastors, elders, bishops, those that are chosen by the church, the deacons. And then we've most recently been looking at the ordinances of a New Testament church. We looked, first of all, at believers' baptism, and we've been looking the past few weeks at the Lord's Supper. we me saying, preacher, why is it so important? I mean, the Lord's Supper, that's something that we do regularly. I mean, uh, you know, we I guess in the past, though, now we do it once every two months, you know, once a month that we would come around the Lord's table and we would do it. Have you ever had anybody say to you, you're just too religious. You're one of those religious nuts. I've often said that I'm totally convinced that religion is probably, in this world, one of the worst enemies that the church has. You see, the simple truth is, is that we don't need more religion. But if we're not careful, we can become too religious. Preacher, how can we become too religious? The Lord has given us only two ordinances we've already seen. Those ordinances were given to His church, believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is the only ceremonies, rituals that we as a New Testament church have. Now, there are many churches, they have all kinds of religious ceremonies that they go through. But the only New Testament ceremonies are these two that have been given by Jesus Christ to the church. When we come to the Lord's table, we have already looked as we looked at this idea, as we first looked at the instituting of the Lord's Supper, we know that there are those that have all kinds of wrong ideas, the wrong purpose, they come for it because they think that it's somehow going to save them or they think that it's going to bestow some kind of special grace upon them Many of them see it as a a sacrament, as something that is essential for their salvation. We know that that's simply not Bible. We've looked at the fact that Jesus Christ, in every place that we look that teaches us about the Lord's table, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Preacher, why is all of this so important? Well, why did Jesus? I mean, people do all kinds. If Jesus Christ himself has given us these two ordinances for the church, it is of utmost importance that we understand what they are and why we have them and why we do them. And, of course, as we've been saying, Christians and churches, by all kinds of names and descriptions, they do all kinds of things. In the name of Christianity, in the name of their church, they do them with the best of intentions, they do them with genuineness of heart, just as when we looked at a New Testament church, there's all kinds of things that are called churches, but just because it's called a church, it doesn't make it a church. We find that certainly in our scripture today, we find that... Paul was making that same statement to the church at Corinth. What did he say there in verse 20? This was a church. They were taken of the bread and the cup, and they were calling it the Lord's Supper. But he said in verse 20, When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. You might be calling it the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to start and I'm going to come back at the end. The purpose of the ordinances is not to save us. It's not that we can somehow be better Christians. We've looked at a load of blessings already of what it does for the Christian when he's obedient in these ordinances. It's not his salvation. It's vitally important for many, many reasons, but not that we can be saved. But it's vitally important because, number one, I'm going to say some things today and next week and the week after, probably about every Sunday that we come together that everybody's not going to agree with out there. (laughs) I hope you do. I'm going to say some things that would be controversial. I'm going to say some things with all the love that I can muster that some people are going to think are unkind, that are judgmental, that is somehow lifting us up because we're saying that we've got it right and they've all got it wrong, but that's not the case. If we're going to be involved in and participate in the ordinances that God has given to the church, first of all, we need to do it right. It needs not only to be for the right reasons and the right purposes as we've seen, but what we're going to be looking at this next week or two is instructions, the instructions for the Lord's Supper. What does the Bible tell us that we're to do? Also, I have an ultimate responsibility as your pastor. We have seen already, when we looked at the officers of the church, when we looked at those offices, God gave the church pastors for all kinds of reasons. And one of those is that you not be knocked about by every wind of doctrine people are going to be able to say, well, we do it this way because the Bible says this or the Bible does that or it just makes sense and all kinds of reasons. You see, I could just preach a sermon. I could just tell you that the ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I could read our statement of faith and I said, that's what we believe about it and this is the way we do it. But that's not taking all that the Bible says so that you know and understand, not just because we do it a certain way. But I want you to understand from the Word of God, we're not out to judge anybody else. We're not out to be unkind. But I very much want you to know why you believe it and why you do it. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are extremely important to the local church, not as a sacrament as some would have it. But, you know, above all else, And I say I'm going to start here and I'll come back and hopefully everything in between will point to it because these ordinances, these ceremonies that have been given to the church, they are there to picture, to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. That's why we're a church, is that not only do we have Jesus in our hearts, but that the world might have him. We've already seen. It is impossible for any human being to come face to face with Jesus Christ and not be changed. Part of what the Lord's table is all about as we remember him, as we look upon him. We've seen that it'll do a lot of things. It'll change our lives. Yes, we will be better Christians because of it, but not because of any magical thing that would be in the bread or the cup that we take, but because of the Jesus that he brings us face to face with. Every human being needs to be brought face to face with Jesus Christ. When we cheapen these things by doing the man's way and our way and rationalizing our ideas into it, we take away from that. We make it less than what it should be. It's amazing that in some facts by trying to make it more or to make it less, when we move away from God's instructions, it becomes less in the instituting of the Lord's Supper that we've been looking at by our Lord. You know, it's interesting, as he gathered with his apostles there in the upper room, he never called it any certain name. He never said, this is the Lord's Supper. He just did it, and he gave it to them. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. In our reading here, We saw, first of all, there in verse 20 that we read that there, the Word of God calls it the Lord's Supper. It's named specifically there. And then the instructions that follow because he's saying, hey, what you're doing, you're coming together and you're calling it that, but that's not the Lord's Supper. Here's the Lord's Supper. Here's what I gave to you that God gave to me. We find if we look back a chapter in chapter 10, Notice what he says there in verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? As we see, the Bible calls it the Lord's Supper. The Bible calls it the communion, the communion of the Lord's blood, the communion of the Lord's body. In that same chapter in verse 21, chapter 10, verse 21 says, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. In actual fact, we find that This is the only three names that is given to this. Now churches give it all kinds of other names, but the Bible calls it by those three names, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, or the Communion. But I want you to notice what is important in every one of those instances that it's given a name. It is spoken of as the Lord apostrophe S, the Lord's. The supper belongs to the Lord. The table belongs to the Lord. The communion is of the Lord's blood and of the Lord's body. You see, in all of these cases, yes, it is the Lord's supper and it belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to any individual, it doesn't belong to any church or any denomination of churches. Yes, we've seen that he gives it to his church, his body here on earth. He gives it as an ordinance, this one to be administered perpetually over and over again, he says, until he comes, until he returns for that body, the church that he's given it to. As individuals, every Christian should be a part of, of a local body where they can participate on a regular basis. However, as it is the Lord's Supper and as it is the Lord's Table, as it is the communion of His body and His blood, I say to you today that it's really only His instructions concerning that table that are of importance to us. We have no authority to to, to draw up our own rules. We have no authority to make our own guidelines because we think it's nicer or more accommodating, because we think that makes us more loving or more kind, and neither do we have the authority to make those guidelines tighter than what God makes them, to be judgmental over others where it is God's space for himself. You see, in the end, It's his table, and I want us to grasp it's only his instructions. Man can reason things to the moon and back. It's God's instructions that are important. We've seen in Scripture already that it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that instituted this table. He gave it as an ordinance to his church, to the local church And we've looked at all these Bible reasons why he gave it to his church and what it does for the church when they practice it in a biblical manner by remembering him. It is, first of all, an act of remembrance. But remember, as we do this act of remembrance, it is also an act of obedience and an act of thanksgiving and witness and examination and communion and all of those things are part of it with those things in mind that we've already looked at. I want us simply to look into the Lord's Word now and say, okay, that's exciting. How do we apply that? What are the instructions that He gives us specifically concerning this table? It's nice to know what it means. We need to know what it means. But we need to know that we're doing it the way that He wants it to be done the way that He's given it to us. You see, our reading today from God's Word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, these are specific instructions being given to a local church, this one at Corinth, and therefore in God's inspired words to Bethel right here today, to every church that truly belongs to Him, instructing in the proper way to observe the Lord's table. They were getting it wrong. And he said, that's not the Lord's Supper, even though you're calling it that. This is what I delivered to you. This is how you should be doing it. So what instructions and examples, if you would, can we pull from Scripture? For example, can we answer these questions? When should we partake? of this ordinance that's to be practiced by the church. Who in the church should receive of it and who shouldn't receive of it? What should be used as the elements that are upon that table? Does it make any difference if it's alcoholic wine or if it's grape juice or if it's, I don't know, some kind of orange squash or, or, or Pepsi Cola even that some have taken it with? People can come up with some strange ideas sometimes. What instructions has the Lord given us? Well, first of all, let me ask you this question. When should we practice the observance of the Lord's Supper? In other words, how often should we do it? Now, if you look around, you'll find that churches, and and you don't even have to go to those with Other names and other brands. (laughs) Just look around at those that are, you know, supposed to be, if not Baptist, at least conservative, evangelical, all those good things that a church is supposed to be. You know what? You'll find out that they've got all kinds of different practices, all kinds of different frequencies that they do it. Well, what does the Lord instruct us? How often should we do it? Some do it weekly. Some churches have a communion service every Lord's Day. I'm sure some of you maybe in the past have even been parts of churches that have done that. Sometimes it's the morning, sometimes it's the evening, sometimes it's a combination. Maybe they'll do three mornings and then one evening. We don't want to overbear, but I think this one's maybe a little more important than some because many would tell us that they have A biblical basis for doing it every week. There are several reasons for it. For some that do it for the wrong reasons that we've looked at, when they see it as a sacrament, when they see it as something that is for the purpose of their salvation, of receiving some kind of special grace from God, then naturally, it would be seen as essential every time that they could possibly do it. So once a week would seem reasonable for some. It is simply a carry down from the Catholic and the Orthodox churches from their mass. It has been kept by many churches Even since the Reformation, when it came down, it still came down from those. And even those that maybe weren't part of the Reformation, they've kind of copycatted and picked it up because that's the way that so many did it. But here's the one that I'm more concerned with. Some that might even have the right purpose. They might understand why they're taking it. They may be doing it for the right reasons. But they say they do it every week because the Bible teaches them to do that. I think this is important because I want you to understand. And we'll come and hopefully this will make sense when we get through it. First of all, look back in the book of Acts, which I guess is where we first began to, as we saw when we first began with the church, this is where that the first local church came into existence there. Well, in Acts chapter 2, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you that we have read before, and then we'll refer back to a couple of these verses. Beginning in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen, and they who? all of them that were saved, all of those that were baptized, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It says here that they continued Steadfastly, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Well, keep this in mind first. We'll come back to this verse, but nowhere even there. They continued steadfastly, and of course, they're saying that verse says they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. So therefore, every Lord's day when they came together, they broke bread. Keep that in mind. Turn over to Acts chapter 20 and in verse 7. This is another verse. It says in verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, the Lord's day, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow and continued his speech until midnight. Don't complain about me. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. Listen, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. I mean, Paul preached so long. This poor young lad, and and the word that's used there probably means that he was somewhere between 8 to 14 years of age, something like that. And apparently he was sitting in one of the window ledges. And I mean, Paul had gone on and on and he had preached. This young lad had fallen off asleep. But when he fell asleep, he fell out of the window and he was dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. He was dead. The apostle Paul put that life back in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. That was an exciting thing. Now, many would say, well, see, they came together. It was on the Lord's Day. They came together for the purpose of breaking bread. Well, if they came together for that purpose, it would surprise me that Paul had preached till midnight and they hadn't done it yet. This lad falls out of the window, kills himself. Paul brings him back to life, and then they break bread again. So that means they broke bread twice in that service if if, if they did something like that, uh, even if they didn't. I want you to notice here that this is a verse that's used, but yes, it was the Lord's Day, and it was a day that Paul was the visiting preacher. I don't see anything there that says every Lord's Day, (laughs) this particular Lord's Day, if this breaking of bread that they were doing, they say, but it was the Lord's Day and they were doing it. Yes, but I'm just saying, show me in the Scriptures in either one of these places where it says that this was the practice every week. The Bible doesn't say that. Matter of fact, there in verse 46, where we read in Acts chapter 2, it speaks there not only of the breaking of bread early, but down in verse 46, it speaks of breaking bread from house to house. It was something that they were doing there, not weekly, but this breaking of bread they were doing continually every day (laughs) from house to house. So, so if, if you were going to take anything from that, the breaking of bread, then it, the timing wouldn't be every Sunday. It'd be every day uh, that they were doing it from house to house. So I want you to note something. If, and that's a big if. Matter of fact, even in my notes, I've got it in bold letters and I've got it underlined, if the breaking of bread in these verses is is speaking of the communion table because first of all that's the first thing they're saying that in all these cases that the breaking of bread is the lord's table. Well, okay, I'm really not sure, you know, first of all, I mean, the cup's not mentioned anywhere in there. It's just just the breaking of bread. Uh if that's speaking of the lord's table, none of those verses still say anything about the church doing it every Lord's Day. There are examples of it being done on the Lord's Day. There's also examples of it being done in all the houses every day of the week, which really seems to contradict so many of the things that we've already looked at, and God's Word doesn't do that. We find that, notice what it said there in verse 46, and I think this gives us a little clearer understanding. It says, breaking bread from house to house. Notice the next words, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were breaking bread house to house, eating their meat. I've never seen any meat on the Lord's table. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm really not, but I I know that that they came together. They were breaking bread from house to house. And when they were doing that, they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You notice over there in chapter 20, verse 11, they came together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, for the breaking of bread. After this young man died and was brought back to life, first thing they did, they took him in to break bread. Notice what it says. It says, broken bread and eaten and talked right into the morning. So in both of those cases where this term breaking bread is used, there's something more than just the bread and the wafer that's taking place there. He's eating, they're eating their meat. You see, here's where we have to be careful because breaking bread was a term that was used for people coming together for a meal fellowship. And I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I guess one of the the things in our house is so often if people come in, there we are sitting around the dining room table, you know, the kitchen's kind of a central point, uh, we like our food <laughs> too well. Um, but it's it's something that people do when they come together. And this was a term that was very commonly used. If you, if you were invited some, to somebody's house to break bread, you knew that you were going over for tea or supper or dinner. Or you were going there to give some food. That was part of what you were going. You were going to fellowship and to eat together. And, of course, and every, everybody at Bethel ought to understand <laughs> We have a lot of breaking of breads around here. (laughs) We have a lot of fellowships and food is usually always involved because we like fellowshipping with each other and we like just eating while we're in the process of fellowshipping and laughing and smiling and all those other things. That's the idea. It was a term that was used so commonly for that. If I ask you to come to my house to break bread, I didn't mean would you come to my house and have the Lord's Supper with me. That's not the term that would have been used for that. It seems to fit the context of what's being said here more so than if we're reading it as the Lord's communion or the Lord's supper or the Lord's table. And as I said, it also seems a bit odd that in all of these cases where it speaks of breaking of bread, though that is a term that was used regularly for coming together. And in in some of these instances, we see clearly they were coming together for the breaking of bread and they ate and they ate meat when they did that. In none of those instances... Does it mention anything about the cup, which if you were talking about the Lord's table, it just seems like that might have been a bit clearer. And of course, it's only fair to say this too, that we know that in the early church, part of what the church at Corinth was being condemned over was their actions at the love feast that they had before they came around the Lord's table. They were dishonoring God so much in the fellowship Paul, when they came around the Lord's table, they were making a mockery of it. We've already talked about all those things and the importance of our relationships, one with another, and one of the important reasons that the Lord's supper is part of our church. But we would assume that, that when they came together for the Lord's supper, that they would have this breaking of bread, this meal, this time of fellowship together beforehand, as we know, and then the Lord's Supper afterwards. But there's no reason to assume that every time it spoke of breaking of bread that they were having the Lord's Supper. The Bible doesn't say that. You know, this is a misconception. It's one of those things that suddenly people have started calling communion the breaking of bread. You can even see it on some signs, breaking of bread service. (laughs) That's not what the Bible certainly clearly states in any way. And so the point is that, may I just simply say this, if some churches want to observe the Lord's Supper every week, if they want to do it every service, if they want to do it every day, that is a choice they are welcome to make as a local church. And you know what? I won't even say that they're wrong. Because I have no biblical grounds to say that they are wrong. But neither should they say they have a biblical grounds for saying that you must. As far as the scriptures are concerned, we are neither instructed to do it on those time bases, nor are we forbidden to do it. And I want you to understand, because some people might say, well, look what the Bible says here you guys doing it wrong. I don't know that you're practicing it the way that you're doing it because it's based upon the Word of God. And I'm simply saying, man has read things into these passages that I would challenge anybody to show me in the Word of God that it exists there. Now, everybody doesn't do it weekly. Some people do it twice a month. Some people do it once a month. Some people do it every other month, every two months as we do right now. Some people do it quarterly or every three months. Some people do it every six months. Some people do it randomly. They don't have a a set time just whenever the pastor feels that it's time for them to do it, then he's led to do that way, then they have it at whatever time that that is. I know many very good Bible churches that do it once a year. They see it as more of a memorial, an anniversary of when the Lord Jesus Christ instituted the table. They see it as as being tied in, as replacing the Jewish Passover, which Jesus was celebrating for the last time before he offered himself as the Passover lamb once for all. Most of the ones that do it this way would observe it during that week leading up to Easter. They have different practices. You'll find anywhere from the Tuesdays to the Fridays, really, some, some practicing it when they think was the night that the Lord did it. Some practice that the, when they think that he was hung up on the cross and there's different opinions on that because it wasn't good Friday. <laughs> I can no way in the world. You can try to use all those different calendars. You can't get three days and three nights from Friday night to Sunday morning. But the truth is, is that churches will practice it during that week because that was when Jesus did it. That was when that he instituted it. And, you know, that's fine. I'm certain that you could find just about any pattern of frequency that you wanted to if you looked long enough. So I ask you again, well, who's right? Who's right? I mean, all these good churches doing all these different patterns. When should we practice the Lord's Supper? What instructions do the Scriptures give us? Well, the only instruction we have concerning timing, concerning frequency, is right here in our reading in chapter 11, verse 26 and 27. I'm sorry, in verse 25. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, the next words, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The very next verse in verse 26, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. However often, whatever frequency that we do it at, we do it, as we've already seen, as is plainly described here, in remembrance of him. We do it to remember Jesus Christ. And the symbolism of this ordinance just as with baptism, is to picture the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as it pictures his death. And, of course, if we're doing it until he's come, he rose up and he's alive again and he's coming back for us again. We've seen the importance of what it does for us to remember him and this ceremony itself. It is not only a reminder to us, to bring us as people that are already believers face-to-face with Jesus Christ, that our lives might be changed, that it might strengthen us and encourage us and challenge us to be more Christ-like ourselves. But let me say to you here today, if you're here and you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Maybe you've had a real good dose of religion. Maybe you've taken all kinds of bread and maybe you've drank in all kinds of cups. Maybe you've had the mass. Maybe it's been called communion. Maybe it's been called Eucharist. Maybe it's been called all kinds of things. But if you're here today, when we take of the Lord's table in this church, it is to proclaim to you that there is only one hope. That hope is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. When we take of that bread is to remember him, the one that lived the spotless, sinless life, the only one that was capable and able to be a sacrifice for our sins and be that propitiation to literally meet all of God's requirements to pay for that sin the one that he, in his body, he was nailed to the cross. And when he was nailed to that cross, we drink of that cup, we remember his blood that was shed, for without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. We are declaring to you, the Bible says all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, in everything we do, it's like I I heard a preacher say one time that he spent a good portion of his ministry preaching about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, until one day he realized he wasn't supposed to be preaching about Jesus, Brother Chris. He was supposed to be preaching Jesus. (laughs) not just about him. He's a person. He's what will change your life. And our ordinances, our baptism, and our Lord's Supper, they are there to proclaim him. He said to proclaim his death till he comes again. It is a picture of the gospel, so it is is vitally important for us as a church that we do it, that it brings us face to face with him it's also vitally important that we do it right, because if you're here today and you're lost, I don't care if you understand anything else that I've said, if you understand that in your sin, Jesus Christ died for you. He shed his blood to pay to atone for your sins, and that's where your hope lies. It's him that we remember because that's where all of our hope is today, and that's what we want for you. We don't want anybody to walk through those doors not ready to face Jesus face-to-face. You see, we do that in just a small way when we come around the Lord's table. But one day, literally, we will be face-to-face with him. And we want you to know that today. And that's, that's the purpose, folks. We don't need to be religious for the sake of religion We have two ceremonies, and they're there to proclaim the gospel. They're there to help us in our obedience to Him. Not only do we proclaim the gospel through the picture, the symbols that are given there, but I've already shared with you, and we won't go back there today to change your life and my life. That's why we're here. That's why we're living. That's why we're breathing, is to proclaim Jesus Christ. We can get it all else. We can have all the religious stuff right. We can smell good and look good. We can have the greatest singing in all the world. You could even decide to get a good preacher one day. (laughs) Simple truth is, that's not going to save anybody. Only Jesus can do that. If you're here today, we're getting ready to sing for our closing hymn, a great, great old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. <laughs> Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You know, that, that's, that's, that's all I'm asking today. That's, that's all I want to do for you as your pastor. I want you to understand. We don't want to place more importance upon these ordinances that we do than are there. But Brother Steve, it's important we understand and we do them right, that we follow his instructions. They're there for a reason, not to make us Christians, not to somehow give us more grace because we take that into our bodies. They're there to bring us face to face with Jesus, to remember Him, all that He's done, and all, to proclaim to everybody, He's still doing it today. He'll still save you today. You don't have to leave here wondering. I didn't break them, brother. <laughs> You don't have to leave here wondering. You can leave here knowing today. You know, we'd love to take the Word of God and show you how you can have that assurance in your heart. We don't want to give you more religion. Matter of fact, you know, though we'd love to have you, it's not my object to get you to be a member of this church, I want to introduce you to Jesus. (laughs) I want you to know Him. And I want all of your eternity be based upon trusting Him and what He's accomplished for you, not what we can do for you, not what this church or any church can do for you, not what religion can do for you, but what Jesus has already done for you. Father, we thank You today. Lord, we thank You that, Lord, it may seem a small thing, well, we just come around and we take this bread and we drink this cup, and Lord, we can become so ritualistic about it, like all things, that it loses its real meaning. Father, I pray that you'd help us, help us as a church, help us to understand why that we do this, why that it's important. Give us a clear understanding that we can follow your instructions, that it can mean everything that it should mean to us as a church, and that it can symbolize and picture to the whole world. Lord, just that message, that clear, simple message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we sing this final song, this we sing about turning our eyes upon Jesus today, I pray that, Lord, that everyone here, you know the hearts, you know the needs. Lord, if there's someone that's lost, that's never truly been born again, would you help them this day to turn their eyes upon Jesus? Not upon this preacher, not upon this church, but upon Jesus Christ himself. Well, there may be a Christian here, Lord. they have a special burden, a special need something in their life today, that, Lord, that they just need to turn their eyes upon Jesus, that he'd look full in his wonderful face. I just pray, Lord, that you would do the work in each heart that you can do, that only you can do. And Lord, help us to be responsive in whatever way that we need to be for what you're saying to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <music>